I told you earlier that I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit at work. There are times when people say, the Holy Spirit's the hard part for me to understand, and I, I don't really ga get what the Holy Spirit does and how the Holy Spirit plays into all of this. Well, there's this better answer than I'm going to give right now, but what I can tell you is, is that once you've witnessed the power of the Spirit and you have seen how the Holy Spirit works, you will be sure that there is a Holy Spirit and I will explain what I mean by that right now. When the Holy Spirit entered into the first believers at that first Pentecost uh, in the first century church, there was a, a rushing of wind and tongues of fire when he came, and, and you couldn't miss it. Everyone present was amazed and overwhelmed, and some were filled with joy, and some were filled with dread. It was a frightening thing. And the Holy Spirit may not be as profoundly visible these days in most of our lives, but I promise you the Holy Spirit is at work today. I can see the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in so many ways, and yet, well, a lot of us in the body of Christ, we fail to notice, and I think it's because, I think it's a little bit of pride, and I think it was a little bit of a uh, uh, distraction. There's just too much noise. Well, COVID-19 has definitely taken a lot of the distraction out of our lives. And so now let us just commit to not being too proud to recognize that many things happen that we're not capable of causing. Here's my example. Many times I do things that seem very wise and prudent in church leadership, and I have to marvel at that when I hear and see the, the, the affirmation of it. And then I say to myself, you know, I'm just not that good. Um, I know myself, I know my backstory, and I can tell you that, that I do have a, a certain wisdom that I've cultivated and a certain amount of knowledge that I've accumulated, but there are so many ways in which a defining power is at work in my life so that things are happening way beyond my reach that bring the wisdom and the knowledge to do the right thing within my reach. For example, you know when we prepare for worship services, Courtney and I spend a great deal of time, months ahead of time, in the process. Uh, there is a, a way in which we go about it. I, I have a spreadsheet that I've created that I've used for decades, really, and, and uh, we begin by looking at the secular calendar and the church calendar and anticipating the various events that come consistently throughout the year and some of the things that are scheduled. And, and, and then we start picking scriptures and themes and discussing, you know, where we feel the Spirit is leading us. And then I will move toward the scripture part and Courtney will move towards the arts and we'll both be in, 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 private preparation as we schedule out the various themes and uh, responses to those themes. Um, I'll write study guides that span uh, months at a time because there are so many moving parts. There are people in our church who want to um, prepare. They're, they're Sunday school teachers and they want to get ready. And, and there are, are uh, themes that we're trying to carry through in order to make sure that every aspect of the church life is is wrapped around the common theme. And so these uh, study guides are prepared weeks and months ahead of time, and, and uh, sermon themes and topics are prepared weeks and months ahead of time. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you look at what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, 
and you begin to realize that the Spirit was in that. We talked about fulfillment. When your job isn't something that you can get a whole lot of fulfillment from these days. We talked about wondering where God is when things like this happen. And today we are going to talk about the question, why does God allow suffering? Why is there suffering? What about suffering? These is these are some of the seven questions that every Christian should be able to answer. And, and it's not that you have to know the answers in order to be a Christian. It's the kind of things that Christians ask and non-Christians ask of Christians. And so let us have answers. So let me ask you a question and feel free to post your answers in the comments below and discuss them with each other as we go along. Um, what have you seen the Holy Spirit doing in your life lately? Have you seen the Holy Spirit at work? Have you, like me, recognized that there is something working in and through your life and the people and the things of your life that ties it all together in a way that you just aren't that good and that you're not that good at it? You couldn't have been that good. You couldn't have been able to make it all come together as effectively as the Spirit has done so. So when you think about it, it is remarkable, isn't it? That we could be future, that we could be ignorant of future events, that we could not have known that we'd be dealing with coronavirus and a worldwide pandemic and a shutdown and stay at home and all of that. And yet here we are prepared because of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that remarkable? Can you, can you see how remarkable that is? And if you find it as remarkable as I do, say so. Go ahead and give God the glory right now for the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I move on, I want to just tell you that uh, it's important to me that you are interactive in this process because it's not like Sunday morning and it's not the sort of one-sided entertainment uh, or whatever you want to call it. This is something I'd need your help with. Uh, I would like for you to to wave those palms. I would like for you, if you're here for the first time, to let us know. I'd like for you to answer the questions that uh, you uh, hear me asking as I preach and, and just inter interact with each other. So, so as we move forward, what do you think about suffering? And why do you believe that God allows suffering? I mean, what if pain and suffering are part of God's plan for sanctification? Do you remember what sanctification means? Sanctification simply means to make holy. And the word holy means set apart. And apart from what? Well, our fallen human condition. Apart from the world of the flesh, the world ruled by the ruler of the air, the evil one we call Satan. Now, sanctification is not just the process of hearing the truth and then trying to live according to a moral standard. You know, that's an important thing to keep in mind. There are a lot of people who equate sanctification or being a Christian with living according to a certain moral code. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about sanctification. Sanctification is the process of maturing in your faith, or as we talked about in the Bible study Sunday school earlier today, it's your journey home to heaven. It's you making your way back to where you came from. And that is your sanctification process. And 
it is unfortunately necessary for us to suffer some pain along the way. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about pain in his other famous book, The Problem of Pain. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes pain is the only way God can get our attention. Born-again Christians start their new life as babies. Have you ever thought about that? When you say that I want to be a Christian, and you've decided you want to be a Christian, you realize that the first thing you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, and that nothing about your life makes you good enough to be in God's holy presence. But then you find out that you can be forgiven for that, because of Jesus, the Son of God, and that through Him, you can be welcomed into God's family and join Him as God's children. And when you hear that, you begin a new life. You're born again. And as with any new birth, it starts with infancy, and then it works as a process of growing older and becoming more mature. So think about your childhood. Think about the child in your household or your grandchild and watch as they progress from birth to independence and then as time passes they become mature and wise and leaders in the world and it takes decades for that to happen but in the same way a born again believer progresses from new birth in infancy to gradual maturity and like natural children we begin to start resembling the father and the mother. In this case, new born-again Christians will eventually start to resemble the Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They'll begin to represent their connection, their spiritual DNA, to this family that we've been invited into. And that is the process of maturing and growing as a Christian. We call it sanctification. I like calling it growing your way home to where you belong, which is in the Lord's presence. Now, there are times when children, and I'm talking about our natural children, suffer from childhood illnesses and injuries that are common to them, and it's no fault of their own that they've suffered. And we feel great sympathy towards them, and we comfort them, and console them, and we bandage their wounds, and we encourage them to, to hang on because it's going to get better. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father sees us suffering through no fault of our own, seeing us go through the pains that are natural to the process of growing up as a child of God. And He comforts us and encourages us and reminds us to carry on and to not be afraid and to learn from these experiences. And then there are times when our children do some dumb things that lead to pain and suffering and we want to drag them over and give them a good swift kick. And I believe that there are times when we see our Heavenly Father dragging us over, giving us a kick in the rump and telling us, this is a moment for you to learn and grow. And this suffering is the best way for you to understand 
the consequences of your attitudes and your actions. And then there's the reality that God has an enemy who is determined to defeat God at every step. This enemy has rejected God's authority since times before time. And he is still determined to bring harm to the Father. And what, what could be more hurtful to a parent than someone inflicting pain upon their children? You can do what you want to me, but don't hurt my children. And so you can see how the enemy is after us. We are, after all, people on a journey home to the Father, a process of maturing to the point where we are more like the Heavenly Father's household and the DNA of that family than we are the earthly, fleshly DNA of what we used to be. And as we make our way home, of course, God's enemy is going to thwart our effort to get there with temptations and pains and suffering and injuries and all sorts of difficulties. Can you relate to that? As you think about what I'm saying, can you relate to that? Can you think about your life, your childhood, and think about times when you suffered with normal, ordinary childhood suffering, and when there were times when your parents comforted you because the earache was so bad and then it passed? Can you think about times when you were hurt by other people or you were a source of hurt to others and it caused you to suffer punishment and pain? Now think about how this happens in the life of a believer. Think about times when you've been hurt by people with twisted and evil ideas. You were hurt because your country was attacked by terrorists. You were hurt because your uh, car was rammed into by someone who was reckless and careless and foolish. Uh, You were hurt because of a crime. And in each of these cases, it was inflicted on you by an outside force, but you suffer nonetheless. And you have to ask yourself, why is that different in the life of a believer? Why not experience these same things and see them in terms of part of the journey of sanctification? In order to understand suffering, we need to go to the, to the source or to the heart of today's message the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. I told you we'd get to the scripture passage. I want to open it and read it to you now. This passage comes from Matthew chapter 27, and it begins at verse 27, and it is part of the passion of Jesus that we will recall this week. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head, and they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said, and they spit on him, and they took a staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, They took off his robe and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him. Our Lord Jesus is the Son of God. He is is in no way guilty or responsible for what's happening to him. He is enduring this incredible agony and suffering because 
He chose to dwell among us and be like us. I mean, have you thought about that lately? He is the Son of God. He lives in a perfect existence outside of space and time, and he doesn't have the same physical nature as us. And then he takes on our physical nature. And so he suffers the pain of childbirth. And, and then he suffers, you know, because it hurts that kid when they're coming out. And, and they cry. And then from then on, they're going to deal with the runny noses, the earaches, and the scraped knees, and the scraped elbows, and they're going to deal with bullies in their neighborhood. And Jesus dealt with all of that. And his earthly mother, she cared for him, and his earthly father cared for him. And yet, all the while, this is culminating in the unbelievable abuse that he suffers during this passion that will lead to our deliverance from sin and death, our atonement, our oneness with God. You know, that's what atonement means, at one meant. We are separated from God because of sin, but because of Jesus accepting a burden that was not his to bear, because he took upon himself the right and just punishment that we all deserve for being so willingly, arrogantly uh, uh, resistant to the authority of our Creator our loving Heavenly Father. He takes that upon Himself, and then we get spared what we could not bear. The Apostle Paul said, For our sake He made Himself sin who knew no sin. He, made, he was made to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that incredible? We are unrighteous, sinful people, and the Lord has taken upon himself all of our sin. All of it. I want you to think for a minute about this COVID-19 coronavirus. It's oppressing the whole world right now. An invisible little virus is oppressing the whole world. What if one person could take upon himself all of the oppression caused by this virus and the rest of us would be healed, and never have to worry about catching it. Now, think about sin, which is way worse than a virus, because it will lead to death and damnation, and it will separate us from each other and from God for all eternity. Now consider sin and realize that one man has taken upon himself all of it, so that we would not be vulnerable to it, and therefore we are set free, and yet we don't deserve it. This is called grace. The Apostle John said, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anybody remember what propitiation means? We had that a few weeks ago. Propitiation is, in this case, the delivery mechanism. The propitiation is the delivery mechanism. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one to say for you too. And he is the one who carries God's grace to us. He's the delivery 
method. Suppose they come up with an inoculation for COVID-19 that will prevent us from suffering the oppression of this virus. And you go to the place where this inoculation is being given and you find out that there's a delivery method. It's going to be a, it's going to be a syringe with a needle and it's going to be injected into you or it's going to be drops under your tongue or it's going to be a pill or something like that. But there's going to be a delivery mechanism that brings deliverance from that oppression of this virus. And in the same way, Jesus is the delivery mechanism of God's freedom from sin and death. He's the propitiation. Bonus points to anybody who already knew what propitiation means, and bonus points to anybody who can say it five times fast and not mess it up like me. So, consider then what we can say about our Lord Jesus Christ. He took sin that was unknown to him upon himself and he bore the punishment for us so that God's grace could be transmitted through him. By his wounds we are healed. Because of Jesus Christ, we who were rightly cast out of God's dwelling place have been restored to God's family even celebrated in the halls of God's house. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said that when one sinner repents and returns home to the Father, all of heaven rejoices. Think about that. Every time a sinner admits that they have no hope of at one with their Creator without the aid of God's propitiation through Jesus Christ, Every time that happens, there is a party in heaven. Oh, how I wish that Shiloh was a source of constant partying in heaven. Can I get an amen? So, in the meantime, we do suffer and die. And suffering and dying are a natural part of our fallen state, but they're also a natural part of our redeemed state. Because it is through them that God shapes and forms us and molds us into his image. It's through them that we grow and mature in the faith. Now, our president is telling us that the next couple of weeks are going to be rough. And the, re the president is indicating that we may see enormous amounts of death and suffering because of the wave that is coming. And when we think about this, we must remember that this is not all there is. This is one part of life and living. And it goes on beyond the grave because of God's great, amazing grace and mercy. And now when we think about what comes in our lives, even just the natural processes that lead to suffering and death because of the winding down of our bodies and the gradual decay that is so natural to the state of things in creation right now, we must recall that we are, we are not suffering for that long. Because after this is paradise, which is God's presence, which is what we've been aiming for, which is what Jesus has made us able to attain. And this is eternity, and there's resurrection coming, and there will be an end to suffering and death. But for now, 
We must bear up to it and be brave and courageous in our faith. We must be willing to praise God with every fiber of our being. With every breath we breathe, let us give glory to our Lord because of what He has done for us. You've got to know that the Lord cares deeply about human suffering and that He means for us to be partners with Him in the relief of suffering. And so while we live, we may suffer. But while we live, we must also do all that we can to help relieve suffering. And you can do this in so many ways. It, it's something He requires us to do. He wants us to care for the other parts of His created order, especially the human beings that He made in His own image. The Lord is especially concerned for people who are marginalized. So this is a time for us to remember that there are some who don't have a natural support system. There are those who are outside of community and family, and they're suffering. And this is why we're called to care for the widow and the orphan. It's both literal and figurative. It represents anyone who is unable to help themselves. And for this reason, we must join in relieving the suffering. And so the best cure for our own suffering is to do all that we can to help others in their suffering. And this has been proven throughout history as those who so willingly and courageously came alongside the suffering and embraced their own suffering in order to do so. See, there's no way around it. We all suffer and grieve in this life. And it's reckless to think otherwise. No one is immune from suffering and death and grief and sorrow. But it's also unwise to think that God owes you anything. Don't think that at all. God has given you all that you need, which is a way to be atoned or at one with God. And if God never gave you anything else, that would certainly be enough, wouldn't it? So keep in mind that before long, sorrow will pass and become a distant memory. And then when the time comes for you to step into God's timelessness, and to be a part of God's dwelling, house, dwelling place permanently, you won't remember it at all. Why is there suffering? Because there is. It's really what we do with the suffering that defines us. And what should define us is our faith in God. And make it let me make it really clear to you, because this was in my notes and I passed over it, so I want to come back to this really quickly, because this is so important. You've got to know that there is nothing wrong with crying out to God in the midst of your suffering. There's nothing wrong with saying, oh God, it hurts, because of your grief or your pain or your sorrow. It's okay to say, God, this physical pain is so difficult, but reframe it. When you suffer in pain, can you take just a moment and say, Lord, is this anything like what it was for you on the cross? When you're, when you're suffering grief and sorrow and sadness, can, can you put yourself in the Lord's shoes as he grieved over Jerusalem and saw their destruction coming? Can you take your pain and reframe it and understand that God is entirely familiar with your grief and your pain? both physical and emotional. God knows what you're going through, and Jesus has lived it. 
reframe it, and then do as he has done. He lived it, and yet he suffered and sacrificed in order to redeem and save those he cared so deeply for. And so let us go into our community, into our neighborhood, into our household, online or wherever we can be found, let people know that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and spirit. And we love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And may God bless you. Let us pray. Well, Father, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon the hearts of your people and give them exactly what they need and remove from their memories anything that was not from you so that all they have is truth from your spirit given in love. I pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.